that company flopped. I mean, you know, we, we had a good run for a little bit, but then, you know, there was an investment in infrastructure that we just didn't want to do. And because our customer was not the customer we were looking, we didn't see really where this was going to continue to go. So we decided, well, look, let's take our losses and, you know, go our separate ways with my partner. Okay, we have Gunnar on the on the show. Gunnar, thank you. Gunnar, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Robbie. Yeah, we were just catching up, uh, you know, prior to uh, us starting. Uh, you were telling me about, uh, you know, being in Toronto. You're you're currently in the West End right now in Brampton? No, I, I live in New York City right now. Uh, you're in New York, okay. Yeah, New York City. Uh, I'm actually uh, outside New York, but yes, uh, I've been in New York City since uh, 2008 now, so... Gotcha. But you did live in Toronto for a bit. Yes, yes. 1999, I was uh, in Toronto and I was doing this program with the University of Toronto. And uh, and I was also going, because at that time, you might remember, maybe you're too young for that, that there was the 13th grade, right? So if you wanted mm. to go to university, you had to do the 13th grade. So in my case, I had to finish high school as well as try to get my university studies uh, started. So I lived in Brampton and I was going to North Park uh, Secondary uh, High School uh, in Brampton. So that's how I know the area. We were talking about uh, Toronto and the area of Toronto. So, you know, I'm more familiar with Toronto, the city and the surrounding Brampton, Mississauga areas. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean the West End, definitely. Yes, yes, yeah. Cool. So I mean, we we got connected because you're part of a, a few entrepreneurial networks, uh, and you're currently working on Carl, right? A a, a, a fintech play, right? For an investment fund. Right. Yeah. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. So uh, tell me more a little more about Carl, and we'll jump right, right into that. Right. So Carl is a hedge fund platform. Uh, we specialize in quant hedge funds. So quant hedge funds, the way we define them are generally going to be uh, investment programs that are designed in a, in a way that follow very specific rules and require very little in terms of human intervention. So when you think about, you know, investment professionals, uh, you know, or maybe a hedge fund manager, most people might think about a guy who is sitting in front of the computer or sitting with a group of people making decisions about how to allocate capital. In this case, all those decisions, all that you know, process of going from, you know, I believe this could be a good idea or where is the information, how could I analyze the information and, and go from that process of making the analysis to actually uh, creating, uh, you know, having a position in the market, all of these decisions are made by a computer program. So this is what we call investment algorithms or, you know, uh, computer programs that are designed to make, to ingest data, uh, analyze the data, come up with a decision, which is whether to buy something, sell something, or maybe not do anything. And that's the the strategy, right? So around that, it's an investment strategy. We partner directly with uh, quantitative hedge fund managers, and we make their investment strategies available through uh, our mobile app. So our mobile app is uh, is it's for 
direct to uh, consumers, so it's a B2C uh, opportunity. What, um, what investors get access, they get access to managers that otherwise, or investment strategies that otherwise they would not be able to access. If you wanted to invest in a hedge fund, the typical minimum is going to be half a million to a million dollars. Through the process that we have put together, we are able to provide you with this access for a lower minimum. Our, our minimum to become an investor is $20,000. But this gives you access to all the managers within our platform. And we're really trying to disrupt the way that the, the industry works, uh, as well as to creating a much bigger you know, industry uh, as for the hedge fund industry, right? Um, so some of the things that we have brought with our mobile application are things that you probably expect from any mobile application, from any services that you probably use, especially after COVID, you know, digital, always on an on-demand type of service. The way that you invest today in a hedge fund uh, company, you have to do your, your own research, especially if you're a, if you're a self-directed investor, you have to do your own research. Uh, once you have done your research, which is very difficult because there is not a lot of information about these uh, entities. Once you have found a fund that you actually like or you want to invest with, you have to have the minimum, half a million to a million dollars to invest. Once they have, you know, allow you to invest, you will receive once a month, maybe once a quarter, it depends on the company, a statement on your uh, capital. So, you know, you can think about that and you're like, what? You're telling me that I only know how my money is doing once a month or maybe once every three months and that I have to come up with like this huge amount of money to become an investor. And I don't have information about these companies anywhere. So, you know, we believe that if we give you the information, we give you the right tools and we give you the access, you will be able to make very good investment decisions. So with us, you know, we do due diligence on all the funds. So we do the, we do the process of doing the analysis and finding uh, these firms and then bringing them to you and telling you, hey, Ravi, this firm or these 10 firms that we have here, these strategies, we believe are good. And you should at least, you know, take a look. Number two is the $20,000 investment minimum with us gives you access to all the strategies we have. And it gives you all the information, you know, what they trade, how often they trade, what's their average return, what's their risk, who are the managers, you know, where they've been, what they've done, videos explaining how the strategy works. These things you're not going to find anywhere. Number three is that we give you the tools to create a portfolio. And with this portfolio, you can see how this portfolio of hedge fund investment strategies would have performed over the last six months, over the last month, over the last year, over the last five years. This you're not gonna find anywhere. Maybe, you know, you have to be a, uh, somebody working within the industry that has tools for institutional investors, maybe a Bloomberg terminal, something like that. Uh, you know, then the next thing is that once you're comfortable with that portfolio that you have built with the strategies that you're invested in, you can follow your money every, you know, in real time. We, you open the app and you know, oh, okay, today I'm, you know, I'm making 10%. Fantastic. Mm. You know, you don't have to wait until the end of the month. 
you know it immediately. And we don't have any lockup periods, which is very common in the industry or, you know, any gates or anything like that. So we're trying to really give you access to, you know, best in the industry tools, best in the industry funds. So you can diversify, you know, you have your stocks, you have your 401k, you, you might have, you know, your insurance. And now, you know, you can put, you know, a little bit of your wallet into Quan hedge funds. And hopefully, you know, what we want to do is really help people reach their financial goals. Some of these vehicles, you know, people have a lot of opinions about our hedge funds, but you know, once you really get to know them, get to know the strategies, get to know the objectives, because this is the other thing, right? A lot of these strategies have a very uh, particular objective, like, you know, a strategy will only make money when the market drops, right? So if you're like, okay, well, I'm thinking about retiring in the next two years and I don't want my 401k to take a hit if I, oh, 401k, you know, in, in mm -hmm. it's the retirement account in the US, but you know, yeah. your retirement account to take a big hit. What you would do is you can invest kind of like buying insurance, right? Into one of these strategies to protect your overall portfolio. So you don't have to be at the mercy of what happens to the overall market, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you want to just decrease the volatility of your portfolio, let's say you, you like to invest in a lot of uh, tech companies or, you know, highly volatile uh, growing companies, but you want to uh, want to get uh, your overall volatility a little to be less. So here's where you will find very specific uh, instruments to do things like that. Now, if you just want to do, you know, 20% in an annualized basis over the next five years, you know, that's also a thing you can you can find. So we give you more control, uh, more certainty about what you might expect it might happen with your with your capital. Uh, and we give you, you know, the tools and the information that you're not going to find anywhere else. Mm. So you gave us a lot to digest here, right? <laughs> I want to I yeah. break this down into pieces and kind of go through it, right? So the quantitative finance, let's, let's dive into that first, right? Um, so I, as I understand it, um, you know, high frequency trading uh, came to be in about 2008, 2009. Uh, it started picking up and comp and, and uh, tr uh, trading became like a human uh, endeavor to a, like a, now a, a computer endeavor where you can make these multiple trades really quickly and make, uh, you know, margins off of, uh, you know, uh, fractional trades. And what ended up happening was people realized if they can bring down the ping, uh, ping and the la 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 uh, latency between connected to the stock exchange by being physically close to it, or even better, running like fiber optic cables right to the center, right? Like there was a, I think there was a firm that was like legendary for spending millions on developing, on getting a fiber optic cable that they laid to even have a better connection to the to the to the, to the New York stock exchange, and uh, you know other other companies that built like you know bought buildings right next to the, the stock exchange trying to get access to this. And there was a whole run in this industry to get quantitative uh, uh, finance set up and the, the infrastructure around it. And it really brought, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, developed this, uh, this, uh, you know, brought like, like, I guess, like these uh, computer science and, um, you know, these high, uh, like uh, uh, technology minded individuals into the finance industry. And from there, kickstarted like the, the fintech revolution, right? Okay, how can we deploy, use the technologies available in software 
you know, like Mark Anderson said, software is eating the world. How can it eat into the into the financial industry? How can we, you know, slice away parts of parts of the finance that are traditionally run by these really hierarchy uh, uh, industries that's heavily regulated, and use the power of software to kind of like democratize it and give it give it the hands of more people? Right. Yeah, you know, you know, it, the, the, I, I think the quant that I mean, the industry you're describing, the finance, uh, you know, in general, uh, it's very, very dependent on software. I mean, uh, you know, we've been developing software for uh, the market for quite, quite some time. Uh, and, you know, it's, I think it's a process. Now, you know, obviously, high frequency trading, uh, in my personal view is a very profitable business, but it has over the years become very, very difficult to participate. So only really big firms can allow, you know, themselves to have the uh, investment that is required to continue uh, participating in that type of, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. business structure. Um, From the quant hedge funds that we have and the quant funds we offer, right? It's like you say, is the next step. Once, you know, computers took over what basically brokers were doing and market makers were doing. Now we have all this technology to reach the market very quickly, execute trades in, you know, a nanosecond. Uh, What started to happen, and I think this is, uh, I started working in high-frequency trading actually in 2009, right Mm -hmm. after uh, school. And, you know, what I saw, I mean, part of Carl and part of, I guess, is myself. It's a, you know, the, a progression of my career as well as a progression of where I see the technology uh, going. Uh, you know, is that first in, you know, early 2010, we started uh, using more and more alternative data. And that's where, like, there, there was, you know, more and more data was becoming available. And before that, most quant managers were fighting each other, mostly using uh, price data or market data. Once this other source of data became available, then basically opened this whole other world, right? Like credit card data, cell phone data, traffic data, website traffic data. You know, there's all these other sources of data. It's so, so much that there is no way one single person can really analyze this data. And because the data is becoming to be more abundant so and it's coming in with greater frequency, you know, we believe that only, you know, computers will be able to crunch this data and come up with an answer. Now, you know, uh, I'm originally from Chile and they, they have a saying over there that with enough time, everybody's a genius. So yes, you know, we can give this data to somebody who might analyze and will reach probably the same conclusion as, uh, you know, as a manager that has a bunch of, you know, computer infrastructure. But because time is money, we prefer to invest with the guy that has a bunch of computers to analyze this data uh, and come out with a, with a you know, a conclusion faster. Cool. So... <clears throat> Quantitative trading, right? Like, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the the, the quantitative uh, the hedge funds that you that you operate on uh, and you, you work with. Um, you give us a kind of a heads level overview, right, of how that kind of operates. But 
how did that actually work? You know, like, like you know, how do, how do they um, uh, execute trades? Uh, what makes a quantitative hedge fund different from a regular hedge fund? Right? Uh, like, they, yeah, they use computers and algorithms, but exactly what, what are they doing? Right, right. So, you know, they're they all going to have a few different uh, aspects, uh, whether it's, you know, their objective, right, or what they call the mandate. So whether their mandate is to, for example, just hedge a portfolio, whether is to, you know, be a long only, meaning they only buy, they don't short and be equity only. But, you know, the process generally looks about the same for most of them. It's that there'll be some sort of idea, right? Like that, you know, light bulb moment, you know, that you're like, okay, I believe that, you know, if I just give an example, if I can get my hands on cell phone data to know how many cell phones are at a Walmart or a Home Depot at any given moment, plus the market data that is coming in, I can come up with a model that tells me the pricing of the stock right now. That will be more accurate than if I didn't have the cell phone data. Okay? So that's the idea. Now, we got to put all the data together, create a model, an algorithm that can analyze this data and, you know, provide us with the, that's basically the research part, provide us with uh, a statistical uh, analysis of, of this idea, right? Now, once we test that idea, and there's a lot of different ways to test it, we see if this idea could generate a return, right? Mm -hmm. If we believe this idea can generate a return, uh, and you know it's okay, and we are, we are okay with the risk, then this set of rules, meaning we have market data, we have cell phone data coming in, it goes into a uh, you know, computer, it, scrambles all of that, analyzes, and then says, you know, buy at this price, for example, buy Home Depot at $25. So, you know, all of that process from the idea to the research to the decision making, you know, has been automated. So now that process can repeat every second, every minute, every hour, every day, until we decide, okay, now we have uh, for example, credit card data. So I think that I can make my system or my strategy better by adding credit card data to this. So the, generally the process is to be able to use a lot of data, try to understand the data and create a process that can analyze the data and give you a decision. Now that decision goes straight to the market, like you said, and it gets you know executed. At that point, you have a position in the market and you are going to have to, at that point, initiate something like an order management system or some sort of risk management system that is either is going to either hedge the position, is going to exit the position given some rules, uh, or is going to, uh, you know, probably not do anything. Mm. So those are generally, but the way that I would say that it's easy to maybe and shorter is that it has very low human interaction from, you know, uh, like, you know, there's some, what they call, uh, you know, semi-quant managers. They'll have a process for the research. The research says you should buy this, 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 and this. And then the manager looks at that, looks at his worldview and says, well, I'm just going to buy the first two. 
we're not going to buy the first three. And he's making a decision on, you know, that it's, it's not what the process would have otherwise done, right? So now there is no way to test whether it's the manager that has the, you know, that is really good at choosing these stocks other than seeing if he's making or losing money or knowing if it's the process, right? Hmm. So when we have a process like this that we can repeat and repeat many times, we can easily tell whether the algorithm and the process, you know, it's going to, it's, it's working and hopefully will work in the future. I mean, that's, uh, that's really interesting. What, what goes into making these algorithms and how, how elaborate or intelligent are they? Are they simple like if statements, like if this happens and do they, if this happens, this happens, or is it like a pattern recognition, like deep learning, like that's going through and, and, and learning the systems, like how elaborate are the systems? It could be very simple, as like you said, so like some if statements that it that it's following certain data coming in, and based on that data, it, it triggers a signal, and up to you know artificial intelligence, machine learning processes with you know that that are consuming terabytes of data every day to you know manage a portfolio. So uh, there are simple very elegant process and there is some elegant but not so simple very complex processes now you know some people argue that if the if the if the process is simple then somebody else is going to be able to put it together sooner or later it, you know probably sooner than later while if the process is very complex and tech, highly technically uh, difficult to put together then it's going to take a lot more time to imitate and, and have a similar process the people that are behind this generally, you know, there's going to be uh, somebody who generally is going to be very seasoned in, in finance, whether it has worked at different firms or different hedge funds. But it, it, behind, there might be a team or a group of people where there's going to be computer scientists. Uh, it's very common to find people with PhDs in math or PhDs in physics. Uh, that are working together, you know, in collaboration to come up with this type of algorithms and this type of investments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, I want to talk about that world or word you use, which is worldview, right? Like, uh, if the manager decides that this fits his worldview or not. You know, does that worldview idea come from, you know, years of experience, understanding? It's a guttural instinct. Um, you know, the human, I'm interested in the human and machine intelligence is mixing, right? At what point, uh, you know, do you feel it's better for a human to step in versus uh, let the machine make a decision? That's a, that's a very good question. So at Carl, we, we look for strategies that have very, very low human interaction. And yes, human interaction is important because there are certain asymmetric risks that you're not never going to be able to get rid of, right? Uh, for example, you were talking about, you know, this company is connecting through fiber optics and this. So what would happen if you lose all your market data, then your computer cannot run on its own. And, you know, we might want somebody with a finger on the switch to like say, well, you know, we stop trading or we sell out or do something like that. Uh, but you know, in general, what we like about quant uh, strategies is that they follow a very, you know, scientific methodology to come up with, a, you know, with a solution to the problem they're trying to solve. So it's more about what, let's say, 
the science or the numbers say, rather what the manager thinks. Uh, and I think that there's also a lot to say about, you know, time frames. The shorter the time frame, you know, the more reliance you're going to have in a computer. This meaning, like, if you're making a decision, you know, every day about what you're going to buy or what you're going to sell, you know, 24 hours might, might seem like a long time, but if you have a lot of pieces of information, you know, a computer might be better suited for a job like that. Now, if you go less than 24 hours, 12 hours, six hours, you know, if you're making, if you're buying and selling every hour, you know, you're basically, by that point, you're becoming a market maker maybe. But now, you know, managers, um, there's examples of great, great, you know, money managers. But generally, their the worldview is more like, you know, okay, you know, I think, you know, we think the vaccine is rolling out, you know, the economy is going to open, the economy is not going to do well, and things are going to be much better for everybody. So I feel less, you know, um, anxious about what the prospects for, you know, my job are going to be. So therefore, my worldview is that we should invest, right? We should I think the market's going to do well, the economy's going to do well, so we should probably invest. Yeah. But, you know, that's, you know, there are managers that can do that and choose the companies that are going to be the winners over the next three months, over the next two months, and they're doing that very often, and they manage, you know, great amounts of money. So I think that there is a space for, for everybody. You know, I'm not saying that quant managers over anybody else, I think that over the spectrum, uh, there is it, it provides you with that diff diversification between one and the other, right? Is I think it's like a, a conversation that that you can have about like, well, at what point you get rid of the driver if the car can drive itself, right? So you know, it, there's there's always going to be situations in which probably you're not comfortable with the car driving itself, but other situations where you're like yes i think that actually my car parks better than i do so yeah mm -hmm. so you know it's I, I think that in that sense technology has not gotten to a point where you know we are um we can discount the the the, the intrinsic decision making that some discretionary managers have and some of them are very good at, at that yeah, I mean, I mean, it goes back to our concern about uh, you know machines running our economy, right? More and more markets being taken over by right. machines. Uh, I think back in what twenty eleven, there was something. Uh, twenty ten, there was a flash crash, where like seven percent of the global economy was just uh, completely gobbled up in like a in, like a, in a few seconds. Um, and initially, it was written off as a computer error from these high frequency trading. Uh, but but one guy went uh, was charged with it. Um, you know, out of uh, a high frequency trader out of. Uh, uh, out of a little shop in uh, in London, there's a great Netflix documentary about him, and uh, and his he triggered it. His trades triggered this flash crash, and he profited X amount, like you know, like a few tens of millions uh, off that off the off that. But the world economy lost like billions of dollars, and it had to recover. Uh, and it kind of brought up this kind of a spiel of like, okay, when computers run more and more of our systems, you know. Who's uh, who's over watching over the machines, right? And what's uh, you know how's everything kind of fluctuating back? You know when everything's kind of coordinating amongst itself. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about the financial industry is like it's like the hub of like almost like the collective consciousness of, of humanity. You know, like 
I did my uh, undergrad in neuroscience and psychology at, at UFT, but I took a lot of like, uh, you know, political science courses and I took a lot of like economics courses. And one of the ideas like I really stuck with me, the idea that economics or like the market is really like the the, the collective intelligence of uh, of society kind of uh, kind of working like or at least a p- part of it some people view it as that being the, the the that being the actual like group mind where other people see it as a part a, a, a part of the greater group mind but essentially the markets are basically like you know as uh, you know billions of people's wants and needs being fulfilled right uh through the companies and the companies that perform those actions and then people speculate on top of those companies right um Right? Do you accept this worldview at all? Do you ever think about it? Uh, you know, it's 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 hard to think like that. I uh, for me, I, I guess the the way I see the stock market, right, as, uh, and and the markets in general, um, you know, it's it's a place where people transact and participate. Um, if you're referring specifically to the stock market, right. Um, you know, most of, I would say that, yes, from the economic perspective, it makes sense, you know, companies buy a product, uh, I mean, consumers buy a product that somebody manufactures, therefore, they're going to have more demand, their stock should go up and this and that. But, uh, you know, a lot of times, if you see the numbers, the, the ones that benefit the most are a small number of people that are the ones that actually own stock, right? Mm. Uh, so, for example, there was a, a great article last weekend, and I don't remember if it was the Wall Street Journal or Forbes, but it's about the growth of uh, ETFs and index investing. And basically, the article sees that we're becoming, it's becoming common ownership because everybody is investing through ETFs and the owners of the ETFs or you know, the, the ETF companies, State Street and other, you know, the big three uh, are the ones that basically are buying through the, 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 the ownership of the ETFs in these companies. So, uh, you know, I think that the market, I, I don't think the market is totally efficient, uh, but in, in our sense and in our objective with Carl is that we want strategies like the ones we offer to reach more people. Uh, you know, the same as the stock market and there's companies that have done great jobs at that, uh, you know, making stock trading or, you know, or investing more available, right? I mean, we are trying to do the same with a, with a product that is outside, you know, the, the stock market, right? It's a product that generally, you know, hedge funds, quant or not, has, has been a product that for as long as I can think of or as know of, it's been a product that has been for institutional investors only or, or exclusively, right? I mean, you know, there is very few and they're all very high network individuals that can participate in, in this, right? And if you think about that, it's like these are sophisticated, very, uh, you know, uh, large investors that manage large sums of money are participating in this. But, you know, most people are not able to participate or get access. So our goal is to provide access and say, look, there is an alternative. There is, you can also participate as an institution does. And we're basically 
you know, leveling the playing, the playing field, you know, maybe you don't like hedge funds, which is fine, but at least you know that you have the chance to participate and to now invest the same way that an institutional investor is, is doing it. So I, I think for us is, is, you know, inclusion, financial inclusion, here is an opportunity, get better diversification, uh, and you know, hopefully, we will help you achieve your financial goals in a, in, a, in a way that is probably uh, simpler and uh, more rewarding. Yeah, um, that's a very. Uh, that I, I think a much more simplified version of thinking about the markets and looking at things. Because um, the way I was kind of, uh, I, I, I tried looking at, at it from a different point of view. It's like it's more of this group mind where like. You know, when billions, millions of people are like transacting, you gotta get like this, like this group consciousness coming up, right? And what I think is cool about you know when you inject software and, and technology into this piece is that you can map things out in better, greater context and greater detail. What's happening, right? Do you feel like you know, especially being in the industry now that things have been computerized and um, you can see patterns better, um, you know, uh, do you do you feel like you know you're you're getting a, a, a greater glimpse in how the world works or how the markets work? Um, through technology, through a lens of technology, I think the I think it's becoming more and more fragmented, okay. which is creating a lot more uh, data gaps. Um, mm. You know, it's uh, it's a world where there is a lot of more more fragmentation, which is not a bad thing, you know, necessarily. Uh, and because of this fragmentation, more people can access, but that's creating, you know, kind of, uh, you know, different sources of information. Um, the patterns that you, you might be talking about, these are less noticeable because there is, you know, there is a lot of fragmentation talking about, you know, high frequency traders, you know, that's how, you know, dark pools started regulation has to follow. Uh, to uh, uh, you know, accommodate large players in the market that want to transact really big, you know, uh, chunks, uh, companies that you know offer you know free commission, free trading, change the world for you know the retail investor, uh, and you know created a whole different uh, business model uh, in to in which they can operate. Um, so I think the market, yes, is it's a collective. Uh, you know, it's like a voting mechanism, right? It's mm. people are, at the end of the day, we follow what, you know, kind of what people think and say, and uh, and that's the way people are voting and we see it in the market. Yeah, absolutely. The, the voting side, I've, I've heard of that before, like that idea you people vote with their money, vote, like, you know, by, you know, pulling in or out, you're kind of getting a speculation, like a, like a prediction algorithm, right? Being set. Um, in in crypto and a few of the marketplaces, uh, people have been trying to replicate this, like a in a micro environment, where you can speculate on almost anything, uh, on the weather to like things like, like there's an idea that if enough people are like you know putting predictions on things, the average of it is generally uh, uh, generally really good. The idea of collective intelligence comes into play. How on the average of of, of a large data set that you know things are pretty accurate um, in a certain degree and. Uh, I, I find that really, really fascinating, right? The idea that uh, is group mind, this idea that uh, uh, collectively we're more intelligent than in the individual. But you know, going back into uh, machines and Carl, like as a startup, you know, uh, uh, there's some, there's always, 
a hurdle in being in entrepreneurship, right? And it definitely helps to have sometimes run through, run, you know, run in your history. Um, is this, uh, you know, your first time being an entrepreneur? Can you talk about your entrepreneurial record? Right. Uh, yes, entrepreneurship is definitely uh, very, can be very rewarding, but it's hard. It's tough. It's very tough to be a founder. Uh, you know, people talk about founderhood and, you know, things like that. But so I, after I was in Canada, as I mentioned, uh, I couldn't deal with the winter. Uh, I went to Chile in the year 2000. Is, basically. is that where you're from? I was born in Chile, yes. Mm. Okay. So I started a company. Well, you know, it was everything very organic, I would say, at that time. You know, I was very young. And somebody, you know, I learned computer science and I was good at math. And uh, in, in Canada, I took computer science classes while I was in school. Uh, I went to Chile. Chile was getting uh, broadband internet, you know, so it was, I would say, 18 months behind, you know, North America in terms of like the explosion, right? Mm. The, the, the tech boom. And there, so there was a lot of needs for websites and uh, randomly somebody asked me if I could help them with that. And I said, yeah, I can do that, obviously. And he referred me to somebody else after I built his website. So, and, 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 you know, there was such a big demand that I started, you know, with some guys from university and we were building websites initially. And then, you know, that turned into a business called Optical Web. And that basically we became a domain services, uh, you know, website, this, you know, provider, uh, you know, back on those days, you know, it was very different than it is today. Mm -hmm. And the, the business really turned into data management. So uh, if you remember, storage on those days was very expensive. You know, if you had a computer with, you know, a couple of gigs of memory, you know, it was an expensive computer. Yeah. You know? It yeah. was very expensive to have memory back in the day. Like, you know, pictures, well, forget it, right? So... We basically, as, as the business evolved, we would build a website for you. And back on those days, you know, there was an agreement. We would maintain that website for you. So that was the revenue. We would generate more revenue. And depending on how much space or storage you would need, we would like, you know, put a contract for you. And the more and more the business progressed, uh, we became more of a data broker if anything so we were basically renting server space from other companies to be able to store more data the company was uh, a decent success i mean we had at, at, at the largest time we grew to 120 employees some, some something around that number uh it was basically an accelerated mba for me or you know i learned about business so much the things that i should have done the things that i didn't do you know i learned about cap tables and and all of these different things uh and things that i probably should have done very 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 differently but it was a, a great experience company got acquired in 2005 uh i basically uh moved to the states my parents were living here i was trying to figure out what i was gonna do i spent some time uh snowboarding trying to find myself uh after the company was sold uh and i my dad introduced me to bernard smith who won the nobel prize in economics for uh, uh, something related to game theory i was mm. very interested in that so he said well why don't you come take some classes if you like this 
uh, and I took some classes that turned into me getting a master's in mathematics and a bachelor in engineering. At that time, you know, it was 2007-8, we were seeing a lot of problems, you know, e-commerce was booming, I mean, it was, you know, it was growing, but, you know, we, we saw a lot of things, we, we thought it was an opportunity, and this comes to, like, more of, like, we think there is an opportunity, and maybe, you know, we didn't do the, all the research we should have done at the time, but the opportunity was that, you know, it's very simple, and you see it still today, especially in all websites, probably owned by, you know, the government, that, you know, it says, do not press the back button, otherwise you might get charged twice, right? Very simple thing, and mm -hmm. like, we can solve that problem. And we did, we, we, we came out with all this technology, all of this to solve the problem, and we put it together. Uh, and then we, we started offering, uh, you know, we should have done it first as a transaction service, so charge per transaction instead of, uh, you know, we offer the service as, you know, monthly, a monthly payment. Uh, and we realized that, you know, companies were not so interested in this because if they got the customer charged twice, it was not really their problem. Yeah. So, you know, there, there was some fees and that and that. So, um, we discovered that the ones that were using our services the most were, uh, online gambling sites hmm. because they wanted to make sure that that money got to them as quick as possible, right? Because it was mainly a latency issue. So uh, it was that flop, that company flop. I mean, you know, we, we had a good run for a little bit, but then, you know, there was an investment in infrastructure that we just didn't want to do. And because our customer was not the customer we were looking, we didn't see really where this was going to continue to go. So we decided, well, look, let's take our losses and, you know, go our separate ways with my partner at the time. Um, that basically took me to New York where I explained, look, I, you know, created this system to reduce latency and allow people to transact faster. And that's how I discovered market making high frequency trading. So I came to New York and I started building, um, I started building for a company. I started building market making systems or the routing systems actually, which is this a small piece of the entire thing. Was when was this? Well, what, what, 2009. 2009. Wow. Okay. 2009. Yeah. So, um, and then I, 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 I started, let's say that my career in the space of quant finance, uh, from that I progressed to building uh, statistical arbitrage systems based on, I, I used to use a lot of, uh, what is called stochastic calculus, uh, to build uh, models and these models will become more like, you know, statistical arbitrage, uh, uh, systems. Uh, then I started doubling in, uh, alternative data. Uh, I, I progressed from that to be, to being part of a team that was in charge of a PNL or, you know, or, or, a, uh, a book of business from that i want to basically be a, a portfolio manager at a, at a at a different firm where i was basically in charge of putting together strategies to to trade uh, as i was doing that i was getting more and more interested in alternative data uh, but also uh, i saw the difference between what you know it can be done 
uh, as, as, as I mentioned, right? So I had a, my first company. I didn't know anything about finance. So I went to, I went to hire well managers, right? Like anybody will do like, you know, so, um, and foolishly, I, I would, you know, expect that that money was going to last for a lot longer. And I would ask them to try harder, right? But, you know, because of the way that the industry works for them, you know, the fiduciary responsibilities and all of that, you know, this, they, you know, their, their returns were nothing great. And I was working within, you know, on the other side and seeing how some of these firms were, you know, killing it. So, you know, it was night and day. So that led me to like, how can I invest in hedge funds? How can I access more hedge fund investments? Because a 60-40 portfolio, it's not really for me. It might be for somebody else. You should have a 60-40 portfolio, sure, or, you know, 70-30, whatever, whatever you're, you know, you're comfortable with. But, you know, if you can make 20, 25% in an annual basis, that's, that's the goal. And that's the goal we're trying to achieve with Carl. Uh, you know, it's that, you know, that's a great portfolio, especially if, if the, the, the volatility is low. We found at that time, you know, many firms that could do that. The smaller firms, you know, that not a lot of people know. If you're within the hedge fund industry, you probably heard of many of those. But outside the industry, nobody knows, them, right? Even even when people say Renaissance Technologies, right? Renaissance Technologies gold standard in the the quant hedge fund world. Very few people know of that firm, but you know they've done seventy nine percent, I think, on average for the last thirty nine years. I mean, they're hmm. killing. Wow. So we found many firms that fit the criteria that kind of I wanted, and this is something that we were looking at at that point with my business partner, my current business partner and uh, but we just didn't have the money you know we needed a million dollars we needed you know half a million or more just to kind of for them to take our money so we thought look there has to be a way for this to work to make it work and for more people to benefit you know I should benefit my mother should benefit you know you should be able to benefit my you know my neighbor should be able to benefit if they choose to participate and that's how kind of like we started with this, you know, if we get the information, if we get the data, if we build the connectivity, because we had to build a lot of technology from scratch to be able to do this and be able to manage the complexity of the legal system and the compliance and the backend and the administration of these vehicles, we might be able to do this. And that's how basically we, we got started. Now, Sai, Sai Smith is my, my business partner. Uh, so he has been an entrepreneur all his life, uh, no flops in his case. Uh, he first started a company that was acquired by AT&T. This is in the 80s. Uh, in the 90s, he started AirSage, which is a company that is still around uh, and that he was also the founder. So between the two of us, we've seen the up and down of you know being an entrepreneur, being a founder, uh, and, you know, I think that that at this point of our, of our lives, you at least mentally prepare you for, you know, what's going to happen, what may happen and what things you're going to have to deal with. And it's not easy, you know, being a founder, being an entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurial activities, 
definitely not 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 the the easiest route i would say but yeah that's what we choose to do in our case hmm. i love this uh, you know uh, quite the journey man uh, i really uh i really vibe with that like you know i've I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs and i've spoken to a lot of like serial entrepreneurs and uh but i think your journey is very transformative transformational because uh you know you start off in different industries and kind of built around uh you know built yourself up to where you are now do you do you find like you know looking back the past 10 years or you know your your, your uh, you know of, of this growth uh, where you are now where's the thing like do you feel like that was calculated like you saw the growth of this and you went there or did you just like you know opportunity kind of brought you here like you saw the opportunity that they rose yeah i think that the first time around it was like kind of like i fell into it and then you see the opportunity and then your brains are sinking and you're like okay i can do all of these things i'm not gonna do it by myself i need more people i need this and it goes uh then you know the second one i learned a lot at the flop that probably we you know we saw the opportunity we knew the problem we were solving but we didn't really understand uh, the problem from the customer side. Uh, and we designed a solution, probably not for the right audience at, at that time. And, you know, we solved a problem for a customer we didn't know we had, and that it turned out to be not, not you know, not what we were looking to do from the get-go, but, you know, business always evolves and change. Now, in this one, I think it came to be, uh, and I, uh, it came to be something that, we saw the opportunity, we studied the market, and we put together a plan that goes with today's world. So what we saw in the as an opportunity, we saw all these firms that have been growing, you know, you can name Betterment, uh, you can name Wealthfront, right? That started in 2010, 2011, maybe, uh, that basically by using digital distribution to put something that Fidelity was doing before in front of, you know, uh, the investors were able to grow a lot faster. Uh, so when we saw there was a change in the, in the law, basically hedge funds were not allowed to do public solicitation until 2017, I believe. Once that changed, we already knew, look, if we're not going to do it, somebody else is going to do it. Uh, and that, you know, the digital advertisement, digital marketing, and the distribution through the internet, you know, is the way to go. So we saw that no one is offering this niche market, what we offer, which is quant hedge funds, right? And we also saw the opportunity because we know how to build technology at scale and you know, take it at scale. Uh, so that's kind of where the insight came. And from, from us, uh, uh, came from one technology and also from knowing the industry and seeing, okay, we understand the industry. We have some connections, uh, within the industry. We know what is possible. And, you know, if we can accomplish all these things, put them together, then, you know, it's hopefully a matter of time until people start realizing that, you know, in, in uh, the best way to describe it is that people will realize that before us, they had a hedge fund problem. If that's, you know, a thing that, you know, and we are the solution. So if you want to invest in a hedge fund, in a quant fund, and you are a doctor making, you know, $300,000, $400,000 a year, you know, if you work in, you know, technology in San Francisco and, you know, you're an engineer making, you know, 
half a million dollars, you know, you don't have the money to go directly to these firms, but with our solution, you know, you are able to get started and get started with something that is very comfortable for most of, of, of our investors, 20,000. Now you have access. Uh, before, if you look for them, uh, you didn't find what you want and you maybe put it on Bitcoin or something else, right? And, yep. Or you put it more into your retirement account. The, you know, we launched three months ago and, you know, we spend very little on marketing and advertisement. And it's very incredible to see the people that are coming. Most of these people are coming through organic search. So there is somebody, you know, obviously COVID is providing people with a lot of screen time, but they're sitting around there. Maybe they just got their stimulus check probably, but you know, they're sitting around and they're like, okay, how can, how can I invest this money? What can I do with this money? Maybe I, I just sold a house. Maybe, you know, I just cash in on Bitcoin. Maybe I, I bought some calls on GME and like suddenly I have another 100,000 in my pocket. And they're coming and they're like probably looking. And I think one of the values that we have is that we're on demand, always there. So they can download the app and make the decision whether they want to start an account or not. And it, all the information is there, right? So. We, we we see and we're trying to more and more develop the product and our message because these people are coming are coming without us like knocking on the door and saying hey there is this here they're coming because they're looking for it which tell us there is a real market need yeah yeah so uh, i love this so much because it's democratizing access uh, you know, the financial markets. Um, one of the crazy things is like, you know, the idea of accredited investors was meant to like protect uh, retail investors, you know, by differentiating services, but it created a, a team that got all these advanced services, right? The 1%, if you're part of the 1%, you're, uh, you know, I recently learned about this. The 1% uh, that we all talk about is anyone who makes more than four, $400,000 USD in annual recurring revenue or uh, $3 million in, um, uh, in in a net uh, net asset value, right? Which is not a not a lot uh, to, to, if you consider it to uh, become part of the one percent. And yet, if you're part of this class, if you're part of the accredited investor class. You know, you can you're you're you you have access to financial instruments that can give you almost zero uh, percent uh, you know income tax that you pay if you're a professional investor, and also can make some fun, amazing returns. Uh, you know, like. Uh, uh, you know, everything from VC firms to quantitative funds that make you know double-digit kind of returns that other people are not able to get, right? For everyone who are not in this class, the only time you see a double-digit interest rates is your credit cards, you know, fourteen percent, nineteen percent, twenty-five percent credit cards, <laughs> right? Uh, right. But your investment, your investments might be making like, you know, point two five in a savings account, two percent, four percent in like in a GIC or like uh, you know some bond somewhere or right. In the, right, in, right. Right. In, in, you know, in the U.S., uh, to be an accredited investor, it, it's uh, you have to make more than two hundred thousand or more than three hundred if you're married, uh, or uh, have more than a million dollars in investable assets. Uh, and that, in the you, you know, it would be much more than one percent. You know, it will it will encompass like a, a lot of people. But even if you, you know, even if you are an accredited investor, right, saying like, okay, you're considered an accredited investor. Technically, you do have access to these things, but in, generally, the access has been restricted, just like you're saying, you know, if you're part of that 1% or that small section, 
you know, you have access to VC types, P investments, you know, off market types investments in, you know, so yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons that, that it was supposed to protect, like you say, but I think what it has created is that it has created two tiers of investors, right? The one that can benefit more and the one that basically doesn't benefit until somebody changes the regulation or, or the services that appear Correct. and make it more available to people. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with the sentiment. And uh, I think what's happening now is that the regulations are changing mostly because um, software not just allows, uh, you know, uh, systems to run with more transparency and more openness because it's, it's software. You can read the transaction detail, but two software is allowing regulators to access and regulate the markets much more frequently and easier. Right. So it's now degraded that argument of protecting people. And now, giving uh, more and more people are, are retail investors are being allowed into the you know these financial instruments and markets and one thing I see uh, that really benefits uh, you know with you and, and Carl is that you're doing exactly this right by bringing down the barrier to entry uh, entry to uh, to take advantage of quantitative trading and quantitative finance and and, and these quant funds right like you're you're essentially allowing new generations of investors to kind of enter the market in this using sophisticated tools Right, right. I mean, you know, I think that's, to me, it's very important to provide the access and create financial inclusion. You know, uh, I, I truly believe that, you know, if you provide people with the, the, the information and the tools, they'll be able to make better decisions than, you know, somebody else, because they're more vested, they have a better interest. Uh, and yeah, you know, it, I mean, that's the promise of the internet, right? Like, here's the information, you know, it's, it's, it's there, use it. And in our industry, there's a lack of information. So we just, you know, want to put the information out there, give it to you in a place where you can understand, where you can ask questions. It's a safe place for, to, for you to learn, for you to invest, for you to communicate and build a community around your interests and around, you know, the, 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 the community of Quan hedge fund investing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Gunnar, I, I, you know, thank you so much for your time and, and for coming on because, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I, my takeaways from this is that you know, there, are, there are these social benefit companies that are blatantly obvious, right? Like, you know, for every shoe you buy from us, we'll, you know, we'll give two shoes to somebody who doesn't have shoes. You can see the value chain. But there's also these soft social benefit companies like yourself, right, that use the power of technology to democratize and give access to those that previously wouldn't have access and um, allows for more transparency and openness and allows for more intelligent systems. I think it does better for everyone involved, right? So kudos for you and your team. Um, you know, I'd love to see get more updates from Carl. Uh, we love this, uh, you know, love to have, um, you know, a series of, um, uh, you know, bring back guests in a series. So I'd love to, for you to come back in like six months to a year, give an update on how you guys have grown and, and, and the lessons you've learned, because uh, I think what you're doing is really cool. Thank you, man. Yeah, it would be fantastic to to come back, uh, obviously. And maybe next time we'll be, uh, you know, in, we'll be in the same room. Yeah, hopefully. Right? All yeah, this is over. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank Perfect. you so much, man. It's been a pleasure to be to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, stick around for a few minutes. We'll do a quick debrief. But for everyone who stuck around, thanks. Check out Carl. And uh, this has been Gunner. Thank you.